Man of Steel Answers Insight Commentary, Episode 8. Zack Loves Superman. I have so many questions. Then, of course, there's the question on everyone's mind. Then I'll ask the obvious question. Start asking questions. You're the answer, son. Welcome to Man of Steel Answers Insight Commentary. I'm your Man of Steel apologist, Dr. Awkward. I cover a mosaic of topics for fans who love discussing the Man of Steel and the DC Cinematic Universe. Together, we'll endeavor to answer the questions, criticisms, and controversies raised by Man of Steel and those excited by the anticipated DC Cinematic Universe. Today, we'll address some Superman fan fears and answer some mailbag questions. This podcast dives deep into the Man of Steel to answer the critics and the confused. This show is not meant to convert anybody, but to celebrate a film that will lead us into the DC Cinematic Universe. Reasonable minds will differ, but this is a show for fans who loved Man of Steel and who love to chew their food. Well, if you've been listening along, you know that I've been trying to produce evergreen overview episodes tackling diegetic topics while I get the hang of this whole podcast thing. However, I've had some mail and news building up, and I just saw something on the horizon that I felt needed to be addressed. Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice releases March 25th, 2016. At a year and a quarter out, it's too early to expect or be entitled to a teaser or a trailer. Nonetheless, there are rumors of an allegedly Batman-heavy teaser for intended release at the end of the year. A Batman-heavy teaser could cause some Superman fans to melt down if they were holding on to some fears or misconceptions about Batman v Superman. I was already parsing through interview footage in order to synthesize authorial and creator intent answers for the website, but I realized a lot of Zack's answers went to the heart of Superman fan fears about Batman v Superman. So I quickly cut something together to give a little insight into where the filmmakers' minds are at with Superman. Now shortly after the video was released, we start to get location photos of Superman in Chicago in the suit, reinforcing the point that he's in the film. With much of the info coming from the film being Batman related, I think some Superman fans were starting to fear Superman was either going to be neglected or diminished in this film. I'm not saying that every Superman fan has every one of these fears, but to briefly list some of them. Some Superman fans are afraid that Superman is going to be disrespected by Batman at Snyder's hand in the upcoming Batman v Superman. Some believe that the realistic tone of Man of Steel shows favoritism towards Batman. Some fear that Snyder prefers Batman over Superman and that alleged bias means building up Batman at Superman's expense. Some fear that Snyder is trying to adapt The Dark Knight Returns into BVS and shoehorn its Superman into the DC Cinematic Universe. There are concerns that Batman v Superman will be a Batman-centric film and that Superman will be shortchanged his development before Justice League. So I cut together some of Snyder's responses which would tend to address or answer these issues. Now given my lack of talent and experience, it took a bit of time which I'd normally spend on this podcast, so I'm converting the video into an audio podcast with just a little additional commentary for this week's episode. Then, if we have some time, I'll tackle a few of the mailback questions at the end. So we have our opening title card, Batman v Superman Will Honor Superman, or Zack Loves Superman. 
And on the YouTube channel, there's also the other subtitle, Answering Superman Fan Fears. If I had to sum up this video in three points, it's basically these. One, Zack is not adapting The Dark Knight Returns or using its Superman. Two, Zack loves, admires, and gets Superman. And three, Zack believes Superman is essential to Justice League and needs development to get there. Since the first point would confuse people who don't know what The Dark Knight Returns is, and the last point is a bit complicated, I entitled the piece primarily after the second point. I picked the word honor to show a loving respect, but not a definitive preference or declaration of victory. Without going down too much of a rabbit trail, I'll use this example. The film Rocky honors Rocky Balboa to the satisfaction of the audience, even if Rocky doesn't win his fight. But speaking of fights, our first card. Snyder on who would win in a fight between Batman and Superman. Now this is a clip from San Diego Comic-Con 2012. Well, that's like not... Fair. I mean, look. <laughs> I, look, I love Batman, right? He's awesome. Really, no. Literally awesome. But like, really? <laughs> There you can hear Snyder's absolute disbelief at the question shows that he knows that Superman would and should clearly win. The question is to him and the audience a joke. Now by itself, this doesn't mean that Snyder prefers or has a bias towards Superman over Batman. In fact, he explicitly declares his love for Batman. But it means that Snyder doesn't check his brain at the door when he's asked the question, as some fans fear he might. Now that doesn't necessarily matter in a stylized or unrealistic universe, where we do ask audiences to check their brains at the door. But as you'll hear from the following clips, that's not the kind of film that Man of Steel was or is intended to be. Our next card reads, Not Adapting The Dark Knight Returns. Now visually, and on Batman's side of things, unquestionably, Batman v Superman is taking cues from The Dark Knight Returns. However, that has led to fears that that includes Superman's portrayal from Dark Knight Returns, from DKR. Snyder makes it explicitly clear, three times over in the videos that I've cut together, that he's not adapting DKR. This next clip comes from San Diego Comic-Con 2013. Some of you will recognize it, and it's, it's not, we're not adapting this thing, but it is the thing that will help tell that story. Now, of course, the clip ends with that odd comment. So how does DKR help tell the story? So I answer it immediately with the next clip, which comes from MSN. The title card reads, How the Dark Knight Returns Helps the Story. Snyder used DKR for guidance on what not to do with Superman. You know, it's funny. I, I'm a big fan of uh this well frank miller you know i'm a big frank miller fan really you don't say yeah teeny bit and uh you know frank's version of superman um in dark knight returns is like you know he's that boy scout government boy scout right and i was like okay more than like going to to a place to say look this is the superman i want i went there to say like okay this is a superman that we we even though it's awesome 
you have to sort of do the opposite of that in order for him to be like the Superman you want to be. And so I kind of use Frank's Superman to tell me what not to do in a way. I mean, I, by the way, I'm a huge fan of that rendering of Superman, but for this incarnation, he had to be, he had to be awesome. I feel like the clip speaks for itself. Despite Zack's reverence for and relationship with Frank Miller, he's enough of a Superman fan to know that's not where you go for your definitive take. So to drive home the point, a third clip where DC All Access presenter Tiffany Smith does a behind-the-scenes interview with Zack Snyder and Kevin Smith on the set of the Yahoo Movies Q&A promoting the release of the Blu-ray, hosted by Kevin Smith. Now, this occurred months after the release of the film and as talks and production of Batman v Superman was underway. The card reads, Snyder is not adapting DKR. Batman is being adapted to Superman's world. Superman is not being adapted to accommodate Batman's DKR. KR. So being a fan and being a director, if you could, you know, talk about any comic books that you would hope to see a little bit of in the next film. Here's what I think <laughs> about adapting comic books to film. I don't I don't want to see in this movie, and I don't think Zach's trying to do, uh, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight mm -hmm. Returns. That will deserve its own movie. God mm -hmm. willing, one day he's going to do it. No, that would be absolutely... Somebody's going to get there, and if anybody's going to get there, it's him. If you were going to do that, you'd have you'd need a different Superman. So that's like, we're, we're bringing Batman into the universe that, that now this Superman lives in. Think about how many comic book stories they've done over the years in the hands of how many different creators, oh. everybody having a different take on it. Oh. Now you've got the tools in filmmaking to actually make movies that look like these comic mm -hmm. books. So rather than being like, do the greatest hits. Just right. show yeah. me everything oh, right, I've ever right. seen. Like, let now, them do what every good comic book creator does. Takes the character and does and something original with it. Yeah. yeah. Like, and they were able to do stuff. He was able to do stuff with this movie where I'm like, all right, they showed me something new. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about that. This is a cool addition. This is... And, that to me is what you do as an artist. No. You take something that exists sure. and you're like, I'm going to do something different with it. I'm going to do what I do with it. And it was bold. So in that clip, Snyder affirms that the world built by Man of Steel is the one that they're sticking by and they're not adapting DKR. Smith also makes some good points about the boldness to do original stories. But at this point, the skeptical may be asking, why does Snyder's vision of Superman matter? Isn't this the guy that admires Frank Miller and who did the ultimate deconstruction of the superhero genre in Watchmen? So I wanted to bridge what you knew about Snyder and what he feels about Superman. So the next card comes before an interview with first showing, and it reads, Watchmen legitimized comics as commentary on an art form. As the first and greatest superhero, Superman legitimizes all comics. And then, like, you finish Watchmen, and like, because I was a fan of comic books, also, it's sort of the evolved version of comic books, right? Watchmen, right? right, right it's right. the, I'm like an intellectual, like, who likes comic books, so I like Watchmen. Right? And I'm going to make that into a movie to justify my love of comic books right, or whatever. Right. And then, once that's out of your system, though, I got to say, you know, there's a hollowness to the end of Watchmen, right? Right. Especially in sort of geeked them, you know, like you finish Watchmen and you're like, oh. <laughs> There's no hope for anyone. There's no hope! Like, is there a way to like, isn't there a way to love, is, is it okay to love this? Right. And I think that's the relationship I had with Superman in making the film was I, I really wanted to 
love Superman. You know, I wanted to, I want Superman to be okay right. because he represents so much. He's the first. He's the the greatest superhero. Right. He's the top of the pyramid, especially in a DC universe. In my opinion, in all of comics, he's certainly the first, and I would argue that he's, you know, the Godfather. It, in every genre of comic books. And to make him work is to make that whole world legitimize that whole world. And so the responsibility I had on myself, and I don't think moviegoers will feel that or see that, but for me the responsibility was like, make him work and you're justifying sort of the why of comic books or the why of graphic storytelling, all that. I know it sounds heady, but... In case you couldn't watch the video and it doesn't come across in the audio, Zach is elaborately gesturing and shrugging and rolling his eyes in a bit of self-deprecation, almost sarcasm, about Watchmen representing an evolved form of comic book fandom. Now it is, don't get me wrong, to appreciate Watchmen requires a degree of literacy in the genre to appreciate what Alan Moore was deconstructing, and the fact that he could do so with so much depth and commentary illustrates why comic books are a rich and legitimate art form. But Zack's body language and tone indicates that he's aware of how haughty that position can be. He's recognized that after it was all over, and after he got it out of his system, justifying your love of comics through commentary about comics is different than directly loving the comics themselves. There's nothing left after the commentary has been made. Nothing goes forward. It's part of the reason that DC's efforts to monetize the IP through the Before Watchmen line was met with such mixed reaction and controversy over what Watchmen means. However, love and adoration of Superman can be more pure and lasting, since it was always intended to be enjoyed in that manner. Here, Snyder says that he endeavored to translate his love for Superman to film. He explicitly says Superman is the first and the greatest, and how making Superman work for the audience is another way to justify his love of comic books, which can last. It's a way to justify your love that can go on and on. The next card reads, good filmmaking comes first. Superman will not be treated unrealistically for Batman's sake. So the clip here shows Snyder's priorities and intentions with Man of Steel. I think so. I mean, I think that Chris, if you look at what Chris did with Dark Knight, you can see that there's room in the genre to like, in the superhero world to like make a good movie, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, uh, that's something I've, I've never, I've never felt like a movie should exist in the real world before. But I feel like Superman should, like it should be, you know, we've designed the movie as like a movie that we shoot on location a lot and, you know, in real settings with real situations because I feel like the most realistic movie I'll make is a movie with Superman in it, which I think is ironic, but in some ways right because I like the idea that in order to support him, like that's never existed, like Superman has never existed that way. Right, like, in some ways, for me to do a stylized Superman movie is the Superman movies that have all been made, because they're all Superman movies that 
all the Superman movies that have been made exist in some sort of weird stylized world where like everyone's like apple pie and Chevrolet and it's like madness, right? Like it's like the, it's like a American dream in a weird way. So the idea for me is like, or the thing I find interesting is that being able to release the character from that world, that stylized world where he's been stuck and shackled and bring him to our world and see what he does, you know? Personally, I feel that Man of Steel delivered with one of the most applicable and relatable Superman portrayals to date. Understanding Snyder's intentions then, it seems unlikely to me that he's suddenly going to toss that all out the window and let Batman walk all over Superman unrealistically. I don't mean to say that Batman will not get his licks in or perhaps have realistic avenues for engaging Superman, but they're not going to break their carefully crafted reality just to make Batman supernaturally effective against Superman. But how could a mere mortal possibly engage Superman? Well, we discussed that in our last episode, and if you haven't listened to that podcast, go back and check it out. But I also try to hint at it with the next card, which reads, Snyder was consistent with Superman's abilities. Batman may engage without rewriting Superman. I was really careful with that stuff. I wanted, I, I remember I created a chart, I think I still have it, of what like, what weapons would hurt him and at what level, right? So like, uh, small arms fire is like a BB gun, right? And then all the way up to, I think I, a cruise missile, I said is getting, would be like getting hit by a 250 pound linebacker from eight feet away, like at a, with a running start. And then all the way up to like a nuclear weapon question mark. I was like, I don't know. Will an ICBM kill him? I don't know. Maybe. This clip from IGN delights me for a number of reasons. First, if you've followed the podcast so far, I'm sure you know that lists and catalogs and measurements are the sort of thing that I'm into insofar as diegetic analysis is concerned. Second, that Snyder is doing this shows a similar inclination and desire to maintain a consistent rule set for the film. Now, I enjoy that just as an audience member, but also as a fan trying to divine his hidden lists from their effect on the film. Third, to the point about Batman, it shows that there is a spectrum of conventional force that can still result in compelling action, even if Superman isn't actually harmed. If you enjoyed the action in Man of Steel, consider this. Superman is barely hurt or harmed throughout the entire film. Yet it was still pulse-pounding, visually compelling, slickly choreographed, and enjoyable to watch action. Batman can bring to bear things that will still give us scenes where Superman is knocked around, even if his invulnerability is never compromised. And if his invulnerability is compromised, it will be realistically justified, consistent with Snyder's careful plotting and charting of Superman's invulnerability. It won't be simply an arbitrary nerfing or inexplicable weakening of Superman merely for Batman's benefit. I basically reiterate the point with the next clip and its card. Snyder will preserve Superman's reality. Superman is the top. Snyder will not break Superman for Batman. The way Superman is awesome is that if you believe that he's real, Right. Or the, you believe the physics of, of Superman. And so that's really sort of where the whole style of the movie came. We know that the pyramid, the top of the pyramid of the DC universe is Superman. Right. There's no two ways about it. Right. When you, you make Superman 
if Superman works, and if you can get Superman to, like, be strong and, and, and be powerful in his world, then it can trickle down and you can say, okay, now I have the top of the pyramid, I can start to build another world underneath Aww. it. So for Snyder to go back on the reality that he's made would break the believability that he strived so hard to achieve. He reiterates that the entire plan for the DCCU rests in making Superman work and being perceived as powerful. This next clip was added to the remastered version. The title card, Snyder's favorite superhero is Superman. Who's your favorite superhero? I guess Superman is my favorite superhero, strangely. You're not supposed to say that's not cool to say. That he it's is. not cool to say. Yeah, just because you're doing it, it's weird. Despite saying that Superman is his favorite superhero, because of the music playing over the clip and the weird phrasing, which could be confusing or taken out of context, I didn't want to lead with this for fear that it would take some of the punch and the humor out of the first few clips. The main point I'm revisiting is the fact that Snyder does not have a Batman bias, even if such favoritism were to affect the film at all. For some, there is a fear that to Snyder, Superman is just a visual effects toy to play with and that he understands nothing about Superman as a character. That he intends for Superman to remain dark and brooding into Batman v Superman. Well first, that fear does not quite appreciate Clark's journey and why he was troubled throughout the film, and why Man of Steel ends with a Superman who could justifiably be of a completely different disposition. We've discussed this in episode 2 of the podcast if you want more reasons why. And second, the following clips shows that Snyder understands the character. So the card for the next two clips is Snyder understands Superman's character. Well, I think it's in the story first and that maybe um, instead of saying, oh, this is a thing for a girl and this is a thing for a guy, I try to look for sort of the universal things that sort of unite yeah. all of us as humans. And, um, you know, those things I think are, um, you know, naturally in Superman as a character. You know, he's kind of, he's all of us, but he's the best we can be at the same time. And I think that that's what I really, really was trying to make happen in the film was to say, have anyone in the audience go like, wow, if I was Superman, that's what I would do. Uh, to me, Superman like really was represented in this sort of really complex mythology that I feel like is amazingly um, important even now, you know. People think, oh, he's out of date, you know, Superman's out of date because he just wants to help everyone. And, I, and I'm always like, wait a minute, so wait, helping people is not cool now? Like, right. like that's not, you know. Um, and so that, that was really important for me to get that message of, you know, sort of sacrifice and this message of volunteer work, you know, really is what he's all about, like completely anonymous, right? Like he's just like, look, no one needs to know who I am, but I have to help, you know? And right. I think that's, that's cool for us, you know, in this modern world where everyone's so snarky and wanting to just like say, you know, that, you know, maybe helping people isn't cool. I don't get that. Sure. Um, and so, and then of course, you know, that's who Superman is to me. So let's just reiterate those points real quickly. To Snyder, Superman is the best that we can be. He's relatable. He's important and relevant. He's here to help. He's self-sacrificing. He's humble. And he's a volunteer. Now, if you're concerned that you didn't see all of that in Man of Steel, on one hand, I'd ask you to look again with an open mind and an open heart. But on the other hand, I'd ask you to check out the answers section of the website under the creative heading and look at the intentions behind Man of Steel. Briefly, Man of Steel was Clark's story and journey 
to becoming Superman. And he doesn't become Superman until after stopping Zod. Also recently released, there's this great video that deserves a plug. It comes from YouTube user Jay Benz, entitled A Thesis on Man of Steel. If I have time, I'll talk about it more in the mailbag section. But it's a great video that brings some of the creative analysis to the film and the symbolism of birth that the film represents. If you're in the camp that felt that you didn't see all these characteristics, this should excite you because it means that Snyder is going to double his efforts to make sure that these values and these characteristics come across in Batman v Superman. There's another great interview out there, not included in my video, in which Snyder talks about the reception to Sucker Punch. In it, he was disappointed in himself in not being able to communicate his intentions to the audience. At the same time, it is his strong preference to make films where the parties can passionately discuss what the film meant from different perspectives. So Snyder wants his viewpoint to be part of the discussion, but he wants his films to have enough ambiguity and depth to generate that discussion. This really appeals to me as a fan, because as I say in the opening of every episode, this podcast is for fans who love to chew their food. And I tend to get that from Snyder's films, even when they're routinely pigeonholed as merely visual spectacles. Snyder avoids spoon-feeding the audience. Now compare that to the Marvel films. I genuinely and really enjoy Marvel's efforts in this arena too. But as much as I liked The Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy, I left both feeling somewhat empty because there was nothing of substance to discuss, analyze, or debate afterwards. Goyer uses the term frothy to describe such fare. I think that's a little bit too dismissive and derogatory for highly effective and enjoyable films but it does sort of convey the absence of substance that I feel afterwards. Now, the point of this whole tangent is that Snyder is highly motivated to make you feel his grasp of the character in Batman v Superman. And that means conveying all those noble traits that he has described in those interviews, rather than, as some Superman fans fear, merely an ill-tempered, super-powered bully rather than a man of character. However, to get there, so that we can see it, Superman's story has to be told. And that leads us to the next card. Superman's story will be told. Superman is the key to the Justice League. BVS is not primarily a Batman film. These next two clips has Snyder reiterating Superman's importance and place in the DCCU and Justice League. The most iconic dude in the comic book universe, no doubt, no question, in the story. That's it, right? So you go, okay, who's the top of the pyramid, Superman? Without question. How do you get him up there, right? How do you get him back? You got to get him back, and he's got to look good doing it. Well, people always said to me, like, well, what, you know, I you know, get a lot of questions. Oh, what about Justice League? What about, like, whatever, more Superman movies? I was like, listen, you got to get the House of L in order, you know, before you can start you know, you got to get the house together. Like your mama would tell you, you back in the day, you got to have your house together first. Really, it comes down to how do you make Superman cool? And uh, for me, anyway, he always has been cool. So it's not like a thing where I had to say, like, put him in like jeans and a T-shirt and let him. You know what I'm saying? Like there was, there, there was that there was that conversation. I was like, no, no, he's got to be in the red boots, the, the cape. The big S. Look, the truth is, um, I think you really have, um, you know, to get Superman 100% in order because you can't have a Justice League without Superman. Like, he's kind of the, 
chairman of the board of the uh, of the just if there were a Justice League. So, like I said, I think if you can get Superman all together, then I think there's a conversation to be had about what to do with Justice League. While Batman is a new and shiny toy and a reliable box office brand, Snyder makes it clear that to get to Justice League, it's Superman that's the key, not Batman. In essence, Batman has been included in a Superman movie to enhance Superman's story, not the other way around. BVS is a film intending to take Superman from the day-old rookie at the end of Man of Steel to someone worthy of being the chairman of the Justice League. We knew that this was the plan from the subtitle Dawn of Justice, indicating a radical shift in the world, something not embodied by an older, weary, veteran vigilante who's set in his ways. No, the Justice League represents a progression from Superman's stories and values, and BVS is the primary stepping stone to get you there. The only other slated films in between are Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman, neither of which is expected to heavily feature Superman. So if BVS's job is to move the ball, then it can't primarily be a Batman film, and nor should we want it to be. We have just come off a definitive Batman retelling, and going in depth too much would be a disservice. Moreover, the Dark team member almost always benefits from a bit of mystery. We should be told some, but left wanting more. The mystique around the bad boys of comics is part of what made characters like Wolverine legends, until their popularity made us ferret out every little detail of their lives. This new Batman benefits from being in the shadows, both literally and in the literary sense. Now there are a ton more indications that BVS is primarily a Superman fan, but since I'm running long, we'll skip those. Hopefully I'll put them together in an infographic or another video or something like that at some point. So the last clip, and it reads, Snyder adores the characters and cast of Sucker Punch his own creation. They are arguably more powerful than Batman. Snyder definitively picks Superman as winning. Snyder will not dishonor Superman or treat him inconsistently because of bias, real or imagined. I think the points mostly speak for themselves. Of course, I just want to clarify like I did at the beginning of this video, this does not mean that Batman will not get his licks in. If any fan is hoping for Batman to have absolutely no impact on Superman whatsoever, they're setting themselves up for disappointment. However, I believe that whatever scrap that they get into will be fair to, and ultimately in the big picture, flattering to both characters. I already discussed this point in the last podcast, so let me talk a little bit more on the clip. First, I'd like to end on a bit of comedy, like we started. And second, as a bit of meta-commentary, it's interesting to see Jenna Malone in this interview, and her admiration for Snyder, now that she's all but confirmed to have a role in BVS. Third, Snyder once again reaffirms his approach to Man of Steel. Fourth, he picks Superman without the slightest hesitation over his own beloved Sucker Punch Girls. Snyder doesn't play favorites when posed with a question dependent on reason. And fifth, that amusing incredulity of the girls. I have to ask you about Zach as well, obviously. What was he like as a director and a mentor on set? Uh, mentor is a good word, yeah, actually. Yeah, totally. He's, uh, he's so He's so collaborative and, you know, energetic and he sort of imbued us with this confidence that I think, you know, I'm going to carry it for the rest of my life. 
And I wanted to ask you as well about Superman. Obviously, oh, yeah. you're getting ready to film that now. Yeah. Um, will we see some sort of similar visual style in that to what we've seen in Sucker Punch? I don't think so. I think that uh, Superman is a sort of divinely different thing for me. I'm sort of approaching it like his credibility relies on his believability. And I really feel like it'd be cool to put him in a hard reality. If Superman went head to head with Sucker Punch girls, who do you think would win? Superman would win for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Man of Steel, yeah, hands he's, down. He's tough to beat. Come on, Superman's one guy. And he doesn't have a gun. <laughs> yeah, I know, seriously. Sorry. I mean, we're heavily armed. <laughs> Do you want to know what's that? We're a unit. What did Zach say? He said Superman. No way! Controversially. Just because he hasn't created yeah, look yet. Look at him, they're holding no. him. Like, no. <laughs> We are real girls. He might have been jumping yeah. around. I know, I guess what maybe our guns don't penetrate him. Shoot, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> what was Zach's explanation for that? He didn't really give one, he just, he was just like, went Superman. Superman, hands Ooh, down. Oh, Zach Snyder, you in trouble. We gonna get you. <laughs> we gonna get you. Alright. You're the answer, son. So, it is now time for our long-awaited mailbag. Thank you for your patience if you submitted a question and you've been waiting this long for an answer. If you do send me a question, please let me know if you're okay with me providing your name on the air or in the podcast. My default assumption is that you're okay with the question being read in the podcast, but without your full name. Let me know differently if it's otherwise. So our first question comes from Maggie, who asks, uh, let's see. It's basically, how do I feel about Batman getting top billing in the title? To be honest, it does bug me a little as a Superman fan, but not enough to make a big deal out of it. You know, Superman's in the title. Dawn of Justice is the subtitle. From my video, you can tell that my belief is that this will be substantially a Superman film leading to a Justice League film. So with two-thirds of the title and most of the film dedicated to Superman for the League, giving up top billing barely even matters. Additionally, what's in a name? Titles tend to be a reflection of marketing more than substance, as proven by the fact that they can and are changed for foreign markets. For example, Captain America was often retitled the first Avenger outside of the US. Edge of Tomorrow was famously rebranded as Live, Die, Repeat recently. So the bottom line is, it's not a big deal. Our second question asks about the kryptonite armor rumors from three weeks ago. And it basically asks about kryptonite. As I've said in previous episodes, I'd like for them to try to keep kryptonite out of the world for a little bit longer, just because it's played such a prominent role in previous films, and it's refreshing to have a different take that doesn't need to lean on it. My fear is that Kryptonite is practically a character unto itself, and it would use up valuable screen time simply justifying itself, its name, its appearance, its existence, and its effects in an expository manner. Then once all that time has been invested into it, there'll be this strong impetus to try and get a return on that investment by using and relying on Kryptonite more and more in future films. Otherwise, it's just a lot of time and development spent on something only ever appearing in one film. Conversely, you're committing yourself to seeing Kryptonite in a bunch of films. So all that said, those are just my fears and my preference, but I'm nonetheless keeping an open mind and an optimistic outlook. You know, it's going to be tough to explain Batman standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with Superman under any circumstance, whether or not Kryptonite is involved. So I almost want them to just do the work without it, 
since they're already going to have to go to the trouble of justifying that confrontation. And let's be honest, Kryptonite doesn't really completely get you there unless it behaves completely differently than we have come to expect in the past. So why add it? The main reason to add it, like I said, would be to do that sort of work so that you can rely on it in the future. But I'd rather sort of enjoy a universe without it for as long as we can. All that said, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if it showed up. Let's see. Matt here asks about the Marvel movie slate and whether the DCCU could possibly catch up. Um, he makes a point that Marvel will be richer in character, world building, and possibly money by their 10 film head start. And so he suggests that the DCCU films will always seem lacking by comparison. Uh, well, Matt, I'm not inherently prejudiced against the Marvel films. I limit the scope of the content that I have to cover or comment on simply to make my life easier. So I'm focusing on DC with an emphasis on Superman. You might be surprised that I actually agree with you in some respects. Uh, Marvel has an unquestionable head start. And so there's always going to be a gap in the amount of media. And more media means more period. However, I would challenge you on maybe two points. First is that DC has to catch up, and second, that DC will seem lacking. You know, in terms of the quote-unquote catching up, doubtless there are economic goals that exist, but in terms of competition, a rising tide raises all boats. Guardians of the Galaxy paved the way for something as offbeat as the Suicide Squad, and Dark Knight paved the way for bigger production budgets. Days of Future Past proves that franchises can rebound and Big Hero 6 shows that there's this untapped all-ages market. The DCCU just has to do its thing, and so long as we get good films, they won't be quote-unquote lacking. They might have less stuff, but there's an upper limit on that, and more isn't always better. There's a certain amount of attrition where you just can't assume that everybody has watched all previous 10-plus films. So at a certain point, you've got diminished returns on your quote-unquote more. Another thing is that if DC maintains this generally more realistic approach, a natural degree of richness comes from more relatable realities than ones suspended by more fanciful tropes. It's part of the reason that I can have such in-depth discussions about Man of Steel, because there are more rules parallel to our own. The tropes make Marvel films more perhaps digestible. But for me, the more grounded DC approach may make the films more meaningful. But look, don't worry about pitting one against the other. Enjoy both for what they offer and what they are. And of course, like all art, there are no hard and fast rules. You can find meaning in less real realities, and you can find the desert of the real to be empty and lacking in meaning. There's no point in putting up these artificial walls. Just enjoy it all with an open mind and an open heart. Uh, another listener, uh, he has a screen name. Again, I don't know if you guys want me to read your screen names or not. For future reference, if you want me to do, let me know. Another listener asks about Lex Luthor being on the Suicide Squad. Well, first, it's only a rumor. Second, I believe that the rumor is that David Ayer, the director, wants Luther in the film, but not necessarily on the squad itself. So basically, I don't think Luther is going to be on the team itself. That said, in the spirit of the question, it really depends on how they play Luther in Batman v Superman. Let's not forget that so far, he's the only dyed-in-wool villain confirmed for the film. 
there's no confirmation of Metallo, Brainiac, or any other per se villain in Batman v Superman. If Superman is the protagonist, arguably Batman is the film's antagonist, even if he's not a villain. And based on some rumors, it's possible that the U.S. government and ordinary citizenship also represent antagonists to a degree. However, it's pretty clear that at some point, Superman and Batman have to team up. And if Luther's the only villain, his threat level has to be explained and justifiable. If Luther is the smartest man in the room to a nearly supernatural degree, it might actually be interesting to see somebody with extraordinary intelligence in the company of characters with legitimate superpowers. However, that practically demands the film be written around Luther, and frankly, convincing super intelligence is a high wire act because it demands the writer be the smartest person in the world at least within the scope of writing this story writers usually sort of hand wave the issue by leaning on super science or jettisoning common sense as an achilles heel but i'm not sure that that works for a more realistic approach to hyper intelligence if however luther is merely a supporting role or piece of connective tissue between Suicide Squad and the larger DCCU, I am completely on board and excited about it. It shows the significance of Superman's enemies to the larger world, their power, their influence, their relevance, and it helps the Suicide Squad to be more world building and reinforces whatever Batman v Superman puts on the table, at least hopefully. Uh, incidentally, nobody asked, but I thought I'd just put a quick disclaimer. Until somebody is officially cast, I generally don't hold or have strong opinions about casting. I just don't. Uh, so if you want to know what I think about a casting rumor or who should play what, I probably don't have anything interesting to say. After their cast, however, I love trying to crawl inside the casting director's head and to show you what they may have seen. So that's something I will weigh in on, and when we get to it, I'll be really excited to talk about Gal Gadot's casting as Wonder Woman. I'm also excited about some of the other Justice League members. And of course, as long as we're talking Superman, we will be going over Eisenberg and Affleck and uh, the rest of those cast members. Look forward to that discussion eventually. Uh, a Reddit user asks, when will I start doing creative commentary? Um... I'm not sure. Uh, creative commentary is more subjective, but it lies at the heart of some of the deeper criticisms of Man of Steel. I wasn't planning on tackling it directly for a while, but I was greatly inspired by a video that I mentioned earlier by Jay Bend on YouTube entitled A Thesis on Man of Steel. I definitely think it deserves more views for being a thought-provoking and persuasively composed and polished video. Uh, you don't necessarily have to buy every point or parallel posited, but I respect the thoughtfulness of the analysis and the effort in communicating it in a compelling form. If you haven't seen it yet, I'll put the links in the show notes on the website and the YouTube channel. I think its conclusion is a must-see for Man of Steel fans. I might do an episode commenting on its commentary, but honestly, it's inspired me to bulk up on my own creative commentary. Uh, there are some creative parallels that I'd love to discuss, but now I'm trying to think of ways to communicate them better than my typical wall of text essays. So hopefully that's down the road. And of course, please remember that this is a hobby for me. You know, I have a career, I have a life, I have no support staff on this. So every piece of content that I'm producing is a part of my life uh, that I'm giving up. So please be patient. Lastly, 
We have some photos that were leaked on the Batman side of BVS. Mild spoilers ahead, though, honestly, as a big part of the show is attempting to plot and predict the DCCU, it's probably not the best podcast for the spoiler sensitive. Uh, that said, for seemingly confirmed plot points, I will try and provide preambles like this warning that you're hearing now. So it looks like we'll be seeing the death of the Waynes again. Uh, this time, for the first time in live action, after leaving the Mark of Zorro. I am not at all worried about this scene. First of all, it will be 11 years, over a decade, since we saw the Waynes die on film, which is plenty of time to reach a new audience. Second, this is an authentic comic book touch. It's much like Snyder playing tribute to Raleigh's Diner in some of the set photos we saw a month back. Third, the Zorro version of the origin is wonderfully concise and amenable to a compressed version of Batman's origin. That's because the concept of Zorro itself gets you more than halfway to the idea of Batman. In other words, if you buy or accept or understand the idea of Zorro, it only takes another half step to get you to a Batman. Lastly, this goes along with the spirit that we've been talking about in the video of not taking things for granted. You know, that everybody knows Batman's origin is a convenient crutch that you can use to cut down your film. But if you do that, you sacrifice some of your film's timelessness if it needs footnotes to fill in the blanks years later. Even if this is just a glimpse, a retelling of your origin sets your film up as a definitive version rather than some amalgamated continuation of Nolan's Batman. If you don't make it clear that there's been a reset button, you're going to have a handful of those confused audience members that think, is this Nolan's Batman grown up years down the road? I think it's going to be stunningly clear through the film that this is a different Batman. This is just another small element to pay tribute to, which helps move us along in that direction. All right, I got a few other questions, but I think we'll tackle them uh, some other time. Thanks so much for the questions, guys. Again, if you're any one of the ones that I, had, uh, that I read off today and you did want your name read off, just let me know. I'll put it uh, in a future episode. If you've already sent me a question, let me know. Uh, I'll put in the question. And I apologize if I've sort of edited down your questions. I think I responded back to most of you in email more thoroughly. Um, but for the podcast, I just sort of condensed it. If you don't want me editing those either, you know, let me know. I try to respect, you know, our listeners. This show is yours as well as mine. There's no point in me just talking out to empty air. So again, I really appreciate the feedback. I really appreciate the letters. Thanks so much. If you have questions, make sure that you post them in the comments, or you can send me an email at mosaic at manofsteelanswers.com. All right. I think I've rambled on long enough. Man of Steel Answers Insight Commentary is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network. So here are some promos for the network shows that I suggest you check out if you want to extend your enjoyment of the Superman mythos. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring Superman and Batman, Golden Age Superman, 
the Superman Fan Podcast. The DC Comics Presents Show. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. It's Superman, the Schuster Herald Podcast. The Kara's Herald Podcast. Superman Forever Radio. Superman Lives. Up, up, and away. Cadmus to Crisis, a Superboy podcast. The Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen's podcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Russell Bragg, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Bob Fisher, Chris Moe, Mario Benessi, Drew Wintermeyer, David Byer, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. Dave Eunice and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Thanks so much for listening. I just love discussing this stuff. And if you've stuck with me, hopefully you do too. I'm genuinely grateful for each and every listener and hope you'll join us at manofsteelanswers.com. That way, if you have a question you want answered or insight you want to share or commentary to make, you can post in the comments for all your like-minded apologists to see. Or you can email me at mosaic at manofsteelanswers.com. If you like what you heard, please review the show on iTunes and subscribe. This is Dr. Awkward, your DC Cinematic Universe apologist, signing off. See you next time. You're the answer, son.